From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. We're really excited today to be talking about the future of technology and its impact on media and marketing with Frank Moss. Frank is the director and a professor of the practice of media arts and sciences, Jerome M. Wisner Professorship of Media Technology of the MIT Media Lab, which designs technology for people to create a better future. An entrepreneur and 25-year veteran of the software and computer industries, Frank has spent his career bringing innovative business technologies to market. Most recently, he co-founded and is on the board of Infinity Pharmaceuticals, an early-stage cancer drug discovery company doing innovative work at the intersection of technology and life sciences. In addition, he chaired the advisory council for the creation of the systems biology department at Harvard Medical School, where he remains an advisor. During his stellar career in the computer and software industries, Frank served as CEO and chairman of Tivoli Systems, a pioneer in the distributed systems management field, which he took public in 1995 and subsequently merged with IBM in 96. He co-founded several other companies, including Stellar Computer, a developer of graphic supercomputers, and Bow Street, a pioneer in the emerging field of web services. Frank, welcome to Market Edge, and thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Larry. Uh, your introduction sounds like somebody who doesn't know what they want to do when they grow up, huh? <laughs> well, but that's, that's what makes you such a great innovator. So. <laughs> okay, great. Hey, Frank, the first question is just for our audience is maybe we could give some context about what you're doing now, uh, you know, and where has the Media Lab been and where is it today, you know, more from a, uh, a large perspective. Okay. On the big picture, uh, the Media Lab emerged in the 80s and 90s as the destination uh, for anyone interested in the future of digital technology. Uh, it's a very unique research institute within MIT. Um, it's funded almost 100% by industry, which is very unusual. And the students who are master's and Ph.D. students build and in innovate and invent and create without any constraints. And so the Media Lab is a very creative place um, where uh, students come, work with faculty, and uh, are informed by the uh, needs of sponsors and invent the future in many ways. Uh, electronic publishing came out of the Media Lab. Digital music came out of the Media Lab. Um, wearable computing came out of the Media Lab. And in its first uh, uh, two generations, as it were, it really focused on the impact of technology in our lifestyle. Today, the Media Lab is still the same kind of unique place at MIT, um, but the students, the faculty, and the researchers are focused more on uh, the future, and in particular, not just how can we improve our lifestyle, but how can we make life better for everyone around the globe, uh, particularly dealing with a lot of the social uh, issues that we face today, uh, disabilities, uh, disadvantaged people in the developing world, uh, people who are otherwise disenfranchised from the system. So there's a special focus here on how technology can solve those social problems. But it's still a wild and crazy, innovative, creative place with a unique business model. 
How do students get involved? Is it something like is it a, you know a major that they do, or is this is it? Do they apply to you to uh, the faculty at the Media Lab? How do how do the students get involved? The Media Lab is unique in that we're also an academic degree granting department. Um, we're actually um, both a uh, uh, you know both a, a research lab and an academic department. It's very unusual. Uh, dessert topping and floor wax, as we call it here. Um, and we grant master's and Ph.D. degrees in media arts and sciences. So students apply to the Media Lab for a master's degree in media arts and sciences. Uh, they come here and get that degree, and if uh, they're interested in we are, they go on to a Ph.D. So it's not well known um, where the Media Lab, the media lab has a, a, a reputation as being a very creative and wild place, but we also grant serious degrees. What are some of the current projects that, you know, uh, the, the people that maybe don't follow the day-to-day -day future of technologies would uh, be interested in maybe things around, you know, music or or, or mobile phones or, uh, you know, anything that would impact sort of the, the the daily life of your everyday business person. Well, um, everyday business person, I think we don't distinguish between business people and the rest of humanity. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, projects here. I think that have very interesting commercial potential. Uh, and uh, and they really the, the future is about looking at advances at the intersection of biology, uh, the physical sciences such as nanotechnology and information sciences. So right. if you were to think in your head about those three circles, those Venn circles intersecting, we have many projects here that are looking at advances in biology and nanotechnology, say biology and information technology. And so that's the basic setting. You know, look at that intersection over the next 10 years or so. Let me give you an example of, uh, say, the intersection between the biological world and the physical world. Uh, and that is Professor Hugh Hare, who's developing um, smart robotic biohybrid prosthetics for amputees. Professor Hare is a double amputee himself and imagines that with uh, innovations at the intersection between biology and the physical material sciences, he can produce um, uh, um, artificial legs. Um, that will enable him not only to walk normally, but to do ice climbing, which was his profession before, before he got into this business. Uh, what's interesting about this is that robotic prosthetics um, for amputees, and which he's wearing them himself, um, are going to be interesting as a commercial opportunity to provide mobility for people who are aging. Imagine that you could pull on an exoskeleton at the age of 80, and it would enable you to walk um, without, without help or without a wheelchair. And so wow. here's an example of technology that, that Professor Hare is developing for people with a unique disability that goes well beyond any imagined prosthetics of today, but that would apply broadly across a number of markets. Um, let me give you another one. Uh, Professor Roz Picard has been interested in the question of how computers have emotional intelligence. How can they understand human beings, how humans feel, uh, how humans react? She's pioneered that field and recently has developed something we call an emotional prosthetic. Think of it as a video camera that you'd wear in your glasses that would enable you to image the face of someone you're speaking to. And it actually in real time uses algorithms to break down whether or not your eyebrows are raising, your lips are puckered, your head is nodded, to how you're feeling. Are you interested in this conversation? Are you bored? Are you agreeing, disagreeing, angry? Uh, and this is, think of it as an emotional, social-emotional prosthetic. In the first case, we're actually using this uh, as an aid for kids with autism, uh, working with the Grodin Center uh, in Providence to provide them with the ability to connect better with the people they're speaking to. But Pepsi, 
the PepsiCo, which is a sponsor of the Media Lab, is using this as a way of determining how people are reacting to tasty snacks in marketing tests. Uh, and the ability to look at hundreds or even thousands of people across the web using video cameras and tell whether or not they think it's tasty or objectionable uh, and really you know, use this as a marketing tool. So there are two examples of technology that are at the intersection between biology or either the physical or information sciences that are going to help people who are disabled today but could um, be applied in the future to huge um, commercial opportunities. Frank, those are great uh, examples. Um, we had on uh, the show a few weeks ago uh, Paul Levy, who's CEO of uh, Beth Israel Deaconess uh, Hospital, manages about 10,000 uh, healthcare professionals, and he said uh, he's finding the use of social media, you know, the blog sphere, e-communities, as a good way to help create innovation and point to ways of serving uh, patients better and advancing innovation, especially in the academic realm. I'm wondering if your students and professors and some of the examples you showed are also embracing this whole new generation of social media and blogsphere to help them in, in planning out their future projects. Well, there's no doubt about it. In, in a sense, uh, the timing of this interview is right because I'm about to launch my own research group at the Media Lab called New Media Medicine. Uh, and uh, my belief is that uh, the practice of medicine, uh, which will point toward personalized medicine but begin with drug discovery, will be revolutionized by these new media technologies. Fascinating. Uh, Tell us yeah. a little bit more about the new media um, medicine. Let's take the problem of finding cures for rare diseases. Um, as we all know, uh, most of the money in pharmaceutical goes into market-driven uh, opportunities for diseases which are pervasive and which have large market, um, a large market size. But what about uh, there are about um, 25 million Americans alone who have rare diseases that are not um, served by that market. Um, we are looking at a project whereby people with a rare disease, uh, we're, we're looking at a particular one with, in fact, uh, folks from um, uh, the clinical community here in Boston, would um, participate uh, in a, let's say, a social network where they can input um, their experience with therapies and drugs, uh, treatments, and exactly how that's worked for them, and then participate really with clinicians at the early stage to see if they can't provide data that would accelerate the development of solutions or drugs for those particular diseases. I call that long-tail drug discovery you know, picking up on the long-tail idea that, you know, things which are um, rare but when added up together can make a big impact. And we're right. actually launching an effort um, to, to um, experiment with a particular disease this, uh, this next semester to see how people can participate together in a social network environment to provide clinicians with data that they have never dreamed of before. That's terrific. I mean, uh, it, it's wonderful to be using, you know, the sort of current uh, Web 2.0, but the uh, the social effectiveness you're going to have is just going to be, uh, I believe, astounding. Um, we also have been talking with a number of CEOs who talk a lot about just embedding moral purpose and social responsibility in everything they're doing, and it sounds like that's become just uh, a regular operating system at the Media Lab. Well, it's really great to see. Uh, I think this is a we, – we have many uh, troubles and developments in our society today, and we look for those bright spots. What I've seen here at the Media Lab, we do work with um, large companies almost exclusively, is that they are beginning to see the importance of working with these technologies that can help people, 
uh, certainly in the first instance because it's the right thing to do, and secondly because it has potential future uh, market opportunities. Uh, the, the $100 laptop, which is now called One Laptop Per Child, came out of the Media Lab a couple years ago with the same philosophy. Uh, and you can um, wonder the imp uh, what impact that will have on learning in the third world, but for sure the um, daylight readable display, the mesh networking, uh, the, the power management capabilities of that laptop will be in production laptop, in just about every production laptop in five years. So, and, uh, uh, and I agree with you on the, uh, the impact that that's already had is pretty much been disruptive in the technology industry by already bringing software prices down and a battle for even a more cheap uh, commercial laptop. Uh, yeah, and I think that the, the, what we're observing there is that if you target innovation at people who are disabled or disadvantaged or disenfranchised in some way, you're actually, in some sense, pushing the limits of innovation and pushing the limits of science and technology. Uh, and that actually accelerates the process um, uh, you know, over what typical market-driven innovation would be. And I think in the future, a lot of uh, innovations and a lot of technologies that impact all of society will have originated with people who are disabled or disadvantaged in some way. Uh, and I think that's a good reversal because those people used to be at the tail end of the technology adoption cycle. Uh, they used to get the, you know, the, the unused prototypes. Right. Uh, and, and now think of uh, people in that situation as, in some sense, being the early, uh, the early adopters and the pioneers of these areas. I think that's good for business. I think that's good for society. Uh, and I think that's uh, a, a trend that I'm seeing increasing rather than going the other way. We're going to take a short commercial break right now. Please stand by, everybody. We'll be right back with MIT's media director, Frank Moss, and more of this compelling conversation. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Mr. Scott, I can't get any more information onto our website. I'm doing the best I can, Captain. There's no more room on the server. It's going to blow. Evaluation, Mr. Spock. The logical answer is Lunar Pages. Reputation, reliability, and legendary 24-7 support makes Lunar Pages the host to cling on to. Did you say cling on? Aye, Captain. Sign up at LunarPages.com and get $700 off coffee cup software absolutely free. If you call, they will answer. Lunar Pages it is. Beam us aboard, Mr. Scott. For out-of-this-world web hosting, Lunar Rocks. Sign up for web hosting with LunarPages.com and use coupon code LUNATICS to get $28 off. Faster than a speeding bullet, it's the super way to pay. It's Fast Transact. Fast Transact is the safe, secure, and fast way to process credit cards, online checks, and gift cards. Find multiple payment gateway and merchant account options to keep your costs down and sales up, up, and away. You can build your business empire in a single bound, while Fast Transact fights the never-ending battle to keep payment processing safe and secure. Your quest for an e-commerce solution has found its final destination. Fly over to FastTransact.com today. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. 
Purse Strings with Maria Retail. No better person in joining me today than Audrey Reed Granger. What do you think makes an iconic brand? I give the example all the time of sitting in a big planning meeting here at Warful Corporation. We're sitting in a meeting and we're discussing laundry. And we're in a room full of men. And we're talking about a brand dedicated to women, Whirlpool brand. All the men were romanticizing laundry. They were talking about it as a quote, and they wrote it up on the whiteboard as a labor of love. Maria, a labor of love. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would classify it that way. Purse strings. Purse strings. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Frank Moss, who is the director and the professor of the practice of media arts and sciences, Jerome B. Wisner Professorship of Media Technology, or better known as the Media Lab at MIT. Frank, we were talking uh, just before the break about large companies and uh, who are really pretty much your sponsors. One of the trends that we've uh, we've seen a lot in the uh, media lately is that uh, big companies don't seem to be able to innovate much. Is what's your opinion about that? That uh, they seem to be buying their innovation, and one if they do come work with the media lab and sponsor it, can they become more innovative themselves? I think you've hit the point right on the nose. Uh, I, I think companies themselves uh, are are realizing that um, due to a lot of the cuts in early um, uh, early stage research and risk taking, they are losing those innovation uh, those innovative edges that got them to where they are. Uh, there are many innovative companies in the United States and in the world today, but as a general trend, I think the investment in innovation is going down. At the Media Lab, they observe what our students do. They observe the process of creativity. Uh, I call it the innovation process, uh, or IP, rather than intellectual property. And I think I'm being quite successful in conveying this message to executives from large companies in that it's not all about just finding intellectual property that you might graze and bring in, but because that's a one-time deal. It's all about changing the culture within your company to be more innovative. And a lot of the benefit that sponsors get out of the Media Lab, I've now discovered, and we're pushing this harder, is simply bringing people in and discovering how we do it here. Uh, I'm also optimistic about building large-scale relationships with corporations, whereby they would invest considerably in the Media Lab at MIT, bring their people on site here to be part of a significant um, research effort, and really change the culture within those companies completely. And in the near future, I'm hopeful that we'll be announcing a large-scale relationship with a large global company uh, that really is all about making them more innovative by immersing them in the total environment of the Media Lab at MIT. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Um, We will. And maybe you could tell our audience, too, a little bit about the diversity of the sponsorship. One thing I was surprised about when I did a little research about the Media Lab a few years back, I was expecting it just to be big technology companies like IBM. But it looks like you have everything from toy makers to, as you said, soft drink makers. You know, one, uh, what is the diversity of the sponsorship? And two, why do you think it is so diverse? Well, you know, I, I think you've put your fingers on it. Over the years, um, you know, the, the, the nature of the sponsorship has changed. Early on, 
there were a lot of media companies in here because uh, people were wondering, you know, how is the media going to get transformed by this? But the fact of the matter is today, every industry is going to be transformed by the next steps in digital technology, and that's not a secret. We all know that, right? And right. companies realize that. So, um, you know, uh, it's really not all about technology anymore. It's about the relationship between people and technology and how that impacts society. And those are the things that are being studied at the Media Lab. So whether you're a large bank, a financial services outfit, uh, whether you're a consumer products company uh, like, uh, like, like Pepsi, uh, like PepsiCo, whether you're a consumer electronics company like uh, Samsung, you're really interested in really the impact of digital technology on how people think, on how people act, on how people behave, on how people buy. Um, that's really where the innovation has to come in. And those are the things that we're studying here at the lab. And so all the way from the companies that, um, that are in the entertainment and music business, the companies that provide uh, consumer electronics products, the technology companies are still here, uh, entertainment companies are here. So it's a common need to understand the intersection between technology and people and society and how that's going to evolve. That's what makes this an interesting place. And I should point out that what makes this doubly interesting is that these companies, I think, view the Media Lab as a place for them to come together and compare notes. Right. And so it's fascinating to see a Korean consumer electronics company uh, working with uh, an American consumer products company, uh, perhaps a toy company or a music company, uh, you know, a financial services company. They're really trying to understand the intersection between those industries because as you and I, you and I both know, and, and it's becoming common now, the, the, the silos of industries are changing. Uh, and the core capabilities of companies, I mean, what will a bank be in the future, for example? Right. Well, today, uh, a bank is all about providing a trustworthy place to put your money. Uh, but maybe in 10 years, a bank will be a trustworthy place to put your genome. Yep, you're absolutely uh, right. Pretty big crossover you know, between the pharmaceutical industry and the banking industry. Uh, and those, those kinds of, uh, of companies come together here and have the opportunity to ponder those questions. Yeah, that's terrific. You know, j just to go down another, uh, another level, you know, since our audience is a, a lot of people that are still interested in media and marketing and the, the influence that this next generation of the web is having, are there some examples of, of things that you guys are working on that um, come to mind on, you know, direct impact of where, where media and marketing is going today? Well, yeah, and we still are very active in that area. Uh, we have uh, uh, something called a Center uh, for the Future of Civic Media. Uh, and that's been, uh, we've been fortunate to have a big grant from the Knight Foundation uh, to, to sponsor that work. It's all about um, journalism, citizen journalism, and how that's going to revolutionize the world of media. And beginning to explore the kinds of tools, software tools or even hardware tools, that regular citizens may use to empower them to go beyond the blogs uh, and the, uh, the user-created content that we see today to have a much bigger impact. Uh, we think that's going to be a huge uh, sea change in the world of media and journalism. We also think that that probably will grow up in the developing world uh, even faster than it will here. So we find ourselves uh, working a lot with, uh, uh, with, with kids and, 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 uh, and, and journalists and others, not only here in the U.S. but around the world, to discover what the future of user-generated media is and what the kinds of tools what kind of tools will make that happen? Let me give you an example. Uh, we have a software program here called Scratch. Uh, and Scratch is all about enabling anybody, including uh, young kids, to create digital media. 
uh, whether it's videos or films uh, or even stories. And today, uh, we've, got, we've put Scratch out there as an open source product, and we have uh, about 80,000 users who have gotten on and created digital media um, content and shared that with one another. Um, so worthwhile to go on and take a look at Scratch, the Scratch website, and to participate. You can do it too, Larry. Cool. I would like to do that. You know, that reminds me, I was going to ask you at the end of the interview, but, uh, you know, I might as well, since you brought it up now, ask you, how can, uh, how can people, you know, where can they go on, do they go on to MIT site? Is there a special uh, URL to go see what the Media Lab is up to or some of these creative things like Scratch? Media.mit.edu. Okay. And you can get right there. Website, and that'll take you to all our individual group websites and uh, update you with the latest videos and news out of the Media Lab. Great. Hey, um, you know, another thing that seems to be happening quite a bit and just would love your comments on uh, briefly, are, uh, the web seems to be becoming highly visual. I mean, every time now I'm going to different sites, I'm seeing more and more video. Uh, I just noticed one of your uh, your pr- uh, professors has taken a job to run the Rhode Island School of Design, and I was looking at his release, and there was no text press release. It was just a video and him at a whiteboard. Uh, but, you know, your comments, not on that, but just on the, the visualization of, of information everywhere. Well, I mean, we're about to go through another sea change uh, on the web itself, and uh, it's no secret that uh, the 3D web, beginning with uh, virtual worlds, uh, which include games and sites like uh, Second Life, are, are, I think, just the beginning of the ability to create immersive experiences. And I think what you're seeing with uh, traditional um, 2D videos today, which are pervasive and everywhere, is the beginning of an immersive web, a web where you just don't go on and, uh, and kind of look at information, but you immerse yourself in the experience. Right. Uh, the ability to run real-time 3D um, uh, images and visualization, I think, is going to transform a number of industries, from healthcare and patient care to theater um, to, uh, to entertainment of all kinds. So I think we're about to see a huge sea change due to the ability to do real-time simulation of 3D. Um, and I think disciplines like computational video uh, will become as important as search technologies were to the last generation of the web. Uh, I and totally agree. With and we've, uh, we've added a new, a young, and a very inventive uh, faculty member named Ramesh Raskar, whose um, discipline is called computational video. His group is called camera culture. Um, yeah. But what he's exploring together with his group is how you can begin to organize, search, analyze uh, the huge volume of videos, both 2D and in the future 3D, uh, that will become you know, very much a part of the fabric of the web. So I think we're going to see new disciplines emerging, uh, which will make breakthroughs uh, that will enable new applications of, of all kinds of different visualizations on the web. I can't wait to take a look at that because, uh, no pun intended, but I can't wait to take a look at that because uh, we've been telling our clients that more and more they have to learn how to start to create environments that are almost emotional in nature, that, uh, you know, allow for a real experience, much like you'd go into your favorite store, and uh, that that's where a lot of the the direction of marketing and and content was going to head. So it's going to be great to see these kinds of uh, technologies to be able to help us, you know, to create those kinds of environments. 
and I think those innovations will come not necessarily out of looking at new marketing techniques because uh, teaches a lot about emotional and immersive experiences. Uh, a fellow named John Hockenberry, you may know John. Um, uh, yeah, from uh, wasn't he on NBC for a while? NBC journalist. He's re- re- recently written about his experience at, at, uh, at that network. Uh, yeah. But he's a uh, distinguished fellow at the Media Lab. Yeah. And uh, he's working here together with myself and faculty members and students to explore the future of these immersive environments. And the project that's got his interest right now is community theater. And the question he's asking is how can these immersive environments, these virtual worlds and other environments, enable uh, people who are not, um, you know, who don't have access to large theaters in big cities to participate with other um, small community theaters to create productions virtually online. Uh, perhaps they can work together to create scripts, um, to do auditions, and then actually in real time to put on uh, dramas or musicals online and participate in those. Uh, the whole idea is to extend the art uh, and to extend the definition of theater. And I think we're going to learn a lot from what it means to express emotions and ideas and concepts artistically and how that will impact the world of uh, you know, the world of business and the world of marketing. I think we're going to learn a lot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of crosstalk between those two. That's wonderful. Hey, in, uh, in the few minutes we have left, I now and then like to ask this question of, of interesting people like yourselves. What, you know, what are some of your favorite destinations on the web and some of the more recent innovations of technology that, whether they came out of the Media Lab or not, uh, that, that Frank Moss finds uh, compelling and interesting or even just fun? <laughs> Well, I think, uh, let me tell you what I bought for Christmas. Okay. It <laughs> uh, gave, uh, you know, gave to the relatives. Uh, uh, these happen to be uh, uh, things that came out of the Media Lab because that's a cool thing to do. Um, yep. But I think, you know, I think one of the coolest things is how we're surrounding ourselves with tangible information. Uh, I call it the nervous system of the real world. In other words, I think the real world, which has been, you know, uh, there's been tremendous development in the online world, but if you think about objects in the real world in, that we live, there really hasn't been that big of an impact of information technology. But what happens when all objects themselves can become smart and tell you about themselves? And uh, I call it ambient intelligence or ambient environments. And uh, a company called uh, uh, Ambient uh, actually came out of the Media Lab, and has created a network which supplies information to active objects like the orb, uh, which I have uh, given to all my relatives and I have spread throughout the media lab here. The orb just sits on your table. It receives information on stocks or traffic on the mass pike uh, or whatever you want, and in a very subtle way, uh, in a non-intrusive way, enables you to keep track of things without going through your laptop or computer. Uh, there's an interesting one that came out this year called the Ambient Umbrella. The ambient umbrella through Hamaker Schlemmer <laughs> uh, actually has a, uh, in, the, in the handle, it actually has a, a, a light that indicates to you what the weather is going to be, kind of like um, uh, the John, John Hancock Center here in Boston. <laughs> and so you have the umbrella hanging uh, in your mudroom, and it'll tell you when to grab it and go out because it's connected to the ambient <laughs> network. And so I supplied everybody this, in my family this, this, this year with an ambient umbrella. Last year it was ambient orbs. I think some of the, uh, uh, the toolkits for kids that enable creativity uh, that are out there today, I find them fascinating to play, work, to play with. Lego Mindstorms robotic building kit I bought for myself. Uh, and although I don't have enough time and certainly uh, I'm not at all as skilled as your average uh, 12 or 13-year-old, uh, I think toolkits that enable kids to learn through building, uh, whether they're uh, 
virtual on the web like the Scratch website uh, or Lego Mindstorms, uh, I think these are really interesting and fascinating because they're cool technology, and I think they address a big problem in our society in, in terms of how can we make people more creative and tie that into a uh, learning, how, how can we make learning pleasurable. And so well, those are some of my favorite things. Well, who knew that everyone would get some uh, next-generation gift ideas from Frank Moss? But well, Frank- it, was a great, it, was, it was a great Christmas because um, this Christmas, uh, if you wish, um, you could have bought um, uh, one of two electronic books, either through Sony, uh, or through Amazon, whose technology came out of e-ink, which came out of the Media Lab. Uh, you could have bought Guitar Hero, which I'm sure you've heard about. Yeah. Uh, one of the best sellers at, uh, at Christmas this year uh, at Target in Circuit City. Uh, and that came directly, Guitar Hero came directly out of the music and technology work of Professor Todd Mack over here at the lab. Uh, you could have bought Ambient Orbs or Umbrellas, Lego Mindstorms, and if... You were even more socially conscious. You could have spent three ninety nine for a couple of one laptop per child, and they came out of the media <laughs> lab. So it was a great year for a shopping list out of here. A lot of fun, but actually some serious things that uh, we think will have a real impact on society. So it's really fun to be part of a lab where cool ideas come, but you can actually see them in the marketplace. Well, Frank, our time is up, but i got to tell you, thanks so much for what you're doing and what everybody's doing at the Media Lab to make all our lives more interesting, better, and, uh, and it was great talking with you today. Uh, thanks again. And as, as always, Larry, it's a pleasure talking with you. And in a conversation with you, I always get good ideas, so thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. All right, and thanks, everyone, for listening to today's Market Edge Conversation with Frank Moss who's the director of the MIT Media Lab and a, just a, a great and innovative guy who's accomplished a lot, and I think he's only beginning to start accomplishing even much, much more. So until the next Market Edge conversation on Tuesday at 12 o'clock Eastern Time on webmasterradio.fm, it's Larry Weber. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.